As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and our latest batch of listener questions. On today's show, we're looking at the greatest centre-back pairings ever, teams we'd like to see play each other but would never, and why Brian Schmetzer is so gosh darn clever. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today is a man who is an expert at answering questions, except this one. Why do dogs hate it when you blow in their face but they stick their heads out of car windows, Taylor Rockwell? Oh, man. Wow. That was uh, even more complicated than I was prepared for. And I wish I could. Yes. And an answer here (laughs) Uh, on the fly. I'm going to say because dogs like riding in cars, but they do not enjoy your morning coffee breath. The correct answer is don't blow in dogs faces. Why do you hate dogs? See, here's the thing, though, is that we have a little dog who does this thing called inward sneezing, which was not a thing I was aware of until we had a little dog. And you have to blow in her face to make it stop. I'm sorry, so what? sometimes you have to do that, my friend. Inward sneezing. Yeah, it sounds like she's like kind of like choking. It's a really fun thing. Little dogs are uh, like so much more disgusting than big dogs. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's it's a uh, it's maybe maybe one day she'll do it near the mic, and you all will get to hear the sheer panic uh, as that noise happens. Wow. Taylor, it sounds like the vet is playing a joke on you. Is what it sounds like. <laughs> that could be. That could be as well. Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, called inward sneezing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's it's like a. I'm not even going to try to do it because uh, people don't need that audio in their ears. But it's definitely weird. But then you do, you blow in her face and she kind of like shakes her head and resets and then she's good to go. So sometimes you have to. But I guess next time, Ryan, I'll put her in the car and see if that works as well. Yeah. And yeah, do, do them both. Blow in the face and head out the window. Then we, then okay, we can get the full yeah, experiment yeah. going. Uh, you mm-hmm. heard his voice just then. Joining us is a man who likes to start every day listening to Jesse Marsh read motivational quotes from Gandhi and Muhammad Ali. Is that right, Joe Lowry? That would do it, Ryan, to be totally honest with you. That that would be a pretty solid way to start the day. Maybe that's what Leeds players need right now, fighting off relegation. Yeah, a quote from Jesse Marsh. I have hundreds of quotes I use at different moments. I love quotes, learning from people of the past, sports figures, historical figures, whatever. The key is understanding what messages to use at the right time. Uh, uh, all I can think of, Joe, is Michael Scott with the Wayne Gretzky quote behind him. <laughs> I see that. Jesse Marsh, you miss all the shots you don't take, dash Michael Scott, dash Wayne Gretzky. It's perfect. Exactly, exactly. We'll see if that one... Man, 
That story was not my favorite story that made the rounds yesterday, just because it was written in such dramatic, like the headline I saw was something like, Jesse Marsh prepared in, to reach into, into like, like into bag of inspirational quotes and bid to like, like stave off relegation. And it was just like, that's not going to get the job done, I don't think. Like maybe, maybe it will be that motivational, but hopefully there's some tactics going on that will also help stave off re- relegation. Yeah. Don't call me Ted Lasso. Yeah. Here's some inspirational quotes <laughs> right. for you. Which he's put on a yellow oh, piece Jesse. of paper above one of the doors in the locker room, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Uh, you heard his voice just then. Joining us also to round out our pack is a man who is a child of divorce. The divorce between EA Sports and FIFA, that is. Oh, Graham boy. Ruffin, hello. I mean, that was sensational news yesterday. A little bit of my childhood and my, my adulthood as well uh, died with that news. I'm not sure I'm ready to call it by a different name it'll always be fifa to me are you a big fan of fc as it were <laughs> um it's all right i think it's a bit plain but people will just call it fc no one's going to call it ea sports fc but i do think it's quite funny that infantino thinks they're going to produce a, a better game than ea sports the the biggest gaming company in the world who have perfected this uh this game fifa over about 30 years and fifa are like yeah well yeah, we'll do a better job in a year. Oh. I cannot wait to see what half-baked game they're going to produce. I didn't know this was part of the story, Graham. They're producing their own one as well? Yeah, so there's a quote from Infantino saying they're going to partner with someone else and, and produce a better game that's going to continue yeah. to be the real FIFA, which <sighs> is funny. It's going to be pure microtransactions, which is going to be infuriating, but I guess that's what video what? games are. Uh, I'm what was also... the film called again? The FIFA film called again? United Passions, Graham. United Passions. Yeah, imagine yeah. United Passions, but on an Xbox. That's basically <laughs> what the new FIFA is going to be. I'm picturing the, mo- um... the movie. <laughs> Sorry, the movie that Tim Roth said like he only made because his father died, and therefore he wouldn't feel shame to be around his father yeah. or something like that. Like, <laughs> and to pay his child's tuition, I think is what he openly says about that film. Oh, I- I'm picturing Infantino. You know, sitting down at the meeting to discuss a new video game, he just sits down and he says, United Passions, but an NFT. Go make it. <laughs> there we go. That's, that's more than... I, I, it's really, it's going to be a very half-baked game for sure, Graham. I did enjoy that if it is going to be called like FIFA FC or whatever, it immediately opened the doors to many people on Twitter and on Reddit pointing out that it's now an MLS expansion franchise, apparently. Yeah. So I don't know if they paid their expansion fee, but hopefully it will be FIFA City FC United. <laughs> <laughs> well, anything that limits FIFA's power and having the name taken off of EA Sports games, that sits okay with me personally. Gents, we've got lots of listener questions to get to. Before we get there, I'd like to go round the houses with a good question I saw post posted on Twitter. I'm springing this on y'all this morning. Um, Sam Farley at Farley Writes on Twitter posted up yesterday. With the news of Erling Haaland signing for Man City, I want to know how many goals you would score up front for Man City in a season. So that the caveat here is you start every single game, including cups, and you never get subs. You play the full 90 every game. Uh, Their cup progression relies on them playing with 10 men and you. And when we're talking open play, no penalties or free kicks. I... When I first approached this question, Graham, I thought I could get maybe two because of the way Man City score those goals where like Raheem Sterling will drive to the byline and let Gabriel Jesus have a tap-in from two yards. I think I could do the tap-in, but the more I think about it, the more I probably think I wouldn't actually get there in the right space in the right time. Graham, how many would you score? 
do I have to do the whole high pressing thing? Is Pep yep. Guardiola going to shout at me from the touchline? Stop yelling at me, please, mm-hmm. Pep. And every, I'm trying my best. Remember, you don't ever get subbed. Every fan's going to hate you as well if you don't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like the answer to this is zero, but my pride wants me to say one. I would get one lucky deflection or something, but I, okay. I feel like the logical answer is zero. Yeah. I feel like opposition, Premier League opposition defenders, I know I'm starting cup games, but they're still pretty good cup opposition teams i feel like a premier league defender their reactions is always they're always going to be sharper than mine so i'm not i'm, I'm not even sure i'm getting to those deflections before them you're always going to be too sick to play as well graham we've got to consider that as well um that is that is very true yeah yeah always with the sniffles poor graham um joe the over under on zero for you square on square on ryan bailey <laughs> zero for me there's not a chance not a chance that i'm scoring even one goal for manchester city in the premier league or in any sort of cup competition it's just not going to happen. Taylor, on the other hand, Taylor, I, I do think there's a non-zero chance that you could get a goal because I've seen you play soccer and I, I know that you're good at soccer. I'm, 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 I'm okay at soccer. I think where I tend to struggle is with intense instruction. And I know Graham was making a joke. I sincerely think that after like a half a game of just being constantly berated by Pep Guardiola for not being in the like the the right micro space, I, I have a feeling that my confidence would go. And so even if I did get one, let's say I get the one, uh, you, you know when like the, the attacker dribbles through the whole defense and then squares it for the person to tap in, and the person who scores the goal runs away and celebrates, but like the rest of the team goes and celebrates with the assist getter, that's what I'm picturing will happen for me, because by the time I end up scoring, everybody, including the fans, are so annoyed with me that... The whole team goes and celebrates that we've got the lead, but I'm kind of there like, I did it, guys, just me by myself. So maybe the one, maybe the one, but I, I feel like I would be closer to Joe's number. Oh, so you're saying you're Timo Werner then, Taylor. Oh, that's not, that's not kind. <laughs> that's not kind at all. That's right. He's got, like Barney's Man. blog in How I Met Your Mother, he's gotten a lot better. Let's say that. I know, I know it's, I know there was other stuff going on, and I know this is unfair, but Timo Werner, ever since the time he had to be subbed out of the Besiktas game because it was too loud, and I'm sure there's <laughs> other stuff at play there, I have not really trusted Timo Werner to be the big game performer, so maybe there is a little bit of truth to that comparison. All right. Well, the answer to the question is probably between zero and one goals TSS could score in Man City's lineup. And we're talking even in like, League Cup games against the two opposition here, so uh, says a lot. Okay. Of probably less than Erling Haaland, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd, <laughs> I would hope that would be the case, Graham. To be honest, I sincerely <laughs> hope that would be the case. All right, uh, let's get to our first listener question from Shreyas Romani. Hello, Shreyas. Uh, Shreyas says, if the US could recruit one player from a team that has not qualified for the 2022 World Cup to join them for the tournament. Who would you choose? And to make it a little spicier, uh, Shreya says that Erling Haaland and Mo Salah have rejected the approaches to make this whole thing a little more interesting. So not those two guys. Who do we think? Taylor, when I read this question, I immediately mm-hmm. went to um, the Italians and I immediately went to mm-hmm. someone like Ciro Immobile or Insigne or someone up front like that. Where, where did you go? I looked at Italy as well. This goes to an answer Graham gave yesterday when we were talking about number nines and the idea that there aren't that many out-and-out number nines who you can count on to score a ton of goals uh, across the planet. And those that you can tend to play for teams that are going to the World Cup. So looking at teams that haven't or failed to qualify and have a striker, because I think that's what the U.S. is truly lacking, um, 
I did look at Italy, and I saw Andrea Bellotti. Uh, the, he's a proven striker, 28 years old, 100 Serie A goals. I looked at Alexander Isak uh, from Sweden and Real Sociedad, who could also do, I think, That's a, a lot one. of what Greg Berhalter wants. But I am keeping my powder dry in case Peru does not win their playoff, because if Peru doesn't qualify... I would go pretty hard at Raul Ruiz Diaz. I've got a lot of love for him. Uh, he's got some familiarity with with the United States. Mm. Maybe that connection that kind of pushes it over the top. But I think Raul Ruiz Diaz does a lot of what the U.S. needs, including just scores goals and find, finds a way to score goals, finds a way to be alive to situations. And I think that's something that we haven't quite had with our number nines. So I would go Ruiz Diaz and as a deputy, Luis Diaz, and we just find a way to play him as a number nine. <laughs> so many Diaz's slow little time. Wonderful choice there, Tay-Tay. Joe, what do you think? Wow, Taylor, I feel like I'm, of the two of us, the one who's more likely to dip into MLS and pick somebody from, from Seattle or, or somebody else. That honestly honestly shocks me that you would pick Rui Diaz over some of the other options. Um, Dude, I, I, lo- I think Raul Rui Diaz might be my favorite designated player of all time. I love that. I think it was such a smart signing, and I think he's so good for Seattle so consistently. And, and like, really, like, Upamakano is one. Sam Tai always had this theory that... Dayo McConnell might be good, but every time Sam had watched him play, he always had a mistake. And it led to this idea that like maybe if I don't watch him, that's what it takes for him to be a really good performer. Rui Diaz is the opposite. I feel like every time I watch him, he, do- he does something really great. Either gets the goal, gets an assist, or just creates something, pops up in a way you don't expect him to. Uh, I-, I always really enjoy watching him. So there might be a little bit of personal bias there. Ta- as Taylor, well. my favorite DP is Blaze Betweedy, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> the people's DP is Good what he is. Answer. The people's DP. All right. So my answer is not Raul Rui Diaz. My my actual answer is Giro Immobile, a twenty plus goal a year striker for basically the last six years in in Syria. That's huge, and he's contributed well to the Italian national team. I know he gets some flack for Italy, but he is a very, very good number nine. And to Graham's point from yesterday, as Taylor referenced, there's not a whole lot of those out there. There's another nine though that caught my attention. It's not Raul Rui Diaz. It's Sebastian Haller for the Ivory Coast. Scored 31 goals this year in the league with Ajax. That's a good one. uh, In the league plus the Champions League, I should say. Haller's a good player. I think I still take Immobile over Haller, but I could, I really could go either way. And the only other, the only other two options that I had on my list. Sorry if this is if if this is taken off of yours, Graham. Riyad Mahrez breaking games on the wing would be just lovely to watch with the national team across from Gio Reyna. If he's fit or across from Christian Pulisic, if if that's the, the choice that Greg Baralter makes on the other side. And then Marco Verratti. My heart wants to pick Marco Verratti for this whole thing. He would be immediately the best player on this team and the I think the best player to ever play for the U.S. men's national team. He could play at the six. He could play at the eight. He could just do whatever he wanted in that midfield. And that would be incredibly fun for me and every other person who's watching the U.S. to actually get to witness. Joe, just a reminder before you say that he's the best player of all time, that Breck Shea has played for the United oh, States. Oh, shoot. Just don't forget Second that best. Okay, My bad. Second cool. best. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry, Thank Marco. You. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Uh, Imabele, by the way, Joe, lives in my neighborhood. I could go ask him if you like. Name drop. Yeah. Name drop. Of course he does. Of course he does. your neighborhood. Is this like when you counted London as your home city? You can't just count Rome as your neighborhood. <laughs> my my neighborhood is very near Formella, where Lazio train. There's several Lazio players in my neighborhood. That um, wasn't a no. Craig, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what do you got? So I think Joe might have talked me into Sebastian Haller. He wasn't on my yeah. list, but I feel like maybe he is the answer. But anyway, I'm going to refer to my notes. I hadn't thought of Haller. So I think uh, Odegaard would be a good selection because one of the problems the US has had in qualifying or had in qualifying was an inability to get through a low defensive block. 
I'm not sure how many low defensive block the blocks the US are going to face in Qatar, but nonetheless, I think his his creativity on the ball would probably help with that a lot. And I'm also going to say, actually, this is my choice. So Odegaard was maybe a sensible suggestion. I'm setting it up to make a not so sensible suggestion. I'm going to say Luis Diaz, Liverpool Luis Diaz. And I know that's not a position the US are light in. It's where Christian Pulisic plays. There's good options there for the US. But I just can't uh, shake this feeling, escape this feeling that he's going to be a superstar in the next few years. And I can't help but wonder how many goals and assists he gets for the USMNT. He is an upgrade on Pulisic. He would press from the front. And he's just relentless. And as I say, I think he's going to be one of the best players in the world. So if he might already be at that level, given the impact he's made at Liverpool. So in terms of just the, the quality of all the players, I think maybe Luis Diaz, Luis Diaz comes out on, mm-hmm. on top in terms of the quality, even if positionally he's not a, a, a position the US would say is a, a priority to fill. Not inclined to push I... any Scots on this one, Graham? They're going, um, baby. They're going. They're well, qualifying. Not yet, going, Ryan. So yeah. not yet. That's the question. Says <laughs> not, not yet. yet. So so left back, I guess. Like genuinely, Andy Robertson, I think would be a would be an upgrade on Jedi Robinson. Oh yeah. Or, or Tierney, actually. I think Scotland's got two left backs that are better than Robinson. Sorry, guys, but we do. <laughs> you don't need to apologize for that, Graham. It's very clear that that's the case. <laughs> I, I I accept your apology. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Uh, do, all I can picture uh, with Joe. Like nominating Haller is the the Vince McMahon like the series of images of him getting more excited is how I'll put that one and it's like <laughs> Sebastian Haller scored goals in the Netherlands Joe Aww. gets more excited and in the Bundesliga Joe gets more excited and West Ham didn't like him Joe gets even more excited and then <laughs> scored a ton of goals for Ajax Joe I, I think loses his mind so yeah I think Haller is the best shout Joe great job thank you and it's not the first time Ajax will get mentioned on today's show so there's there's <laughs> yeah. a little tease for you all is your excited over Heller inversely proportional to David Moyes then is that what we're yes. saying yes okay. yes that's exactly it and I'm taking that yep. as a massive compliment <laughs> yep excellent stuff thank you very much Trace for the question let's go to one from Mika Atkins Estes who says Brian Schmetzer has won just about everything he can with the Sounders can you describe his tactics and if he could be a good Greg Berhalter successor Joseph this feels like a question I should aim at you sir um, of course Schmetzer born and raised in Seattle played in Seattle coached in Seattle for a rather long time as well two MLS Cups, four US Open Cups, four Western Conferences, two USL titles pre-MLS. Oh, and the old CONCACAF Champs League too, Joe. He's won so many things, Ryan, and I appreciate you reading through that list. I think for Brian Schmetzer to take any sort of job with the national team, they would have to move that training center out of Kansas City and into Seattle and and just move Soccer House to Seattle Mm -hmm. as well because he is a Seattle guy. And that's a a huge part of what makes his story and, and just his personality so interesting as the manager of, of that Seattle Sounders team tactically he loves a, a 4-2-3-1 but is pretty happy and we saw this last year to change his shape based on the personnel so last year Seattle changed to a three at the back shape and knew who played as that left-sided center back and that was largely prompted by Jordan Morris's ACL injury that he suffered on loan with Swansea they lost a winger in that in that uh, injury and so they had to change a little bit and so we saw some different looks from them last year a couple different three at the back shapes this year, Jordan Morris is back. Christian Roldan's playing very well on the wing for Seattle. And all of a sudden, they're back in that 4-2-3-1, which wasn't really a surprise to many folks out there. The, uh, to dive deeper than just the shape, they don't really, Seattle doesn't really command the game under Brian Schmetzer, which is fine, right? They're, they're a little more defensive. They're likely to be in a mid-block in a 4-4-2 or a 4-4-1-1. And they like to attack in transition. Those are kind of the two 
biggest tactical principles that I see when I watch the Sounders play under Brian Schmetzer. They're going to defend in the middle of the field. They'll, they'll drop a little deeper at times. They'll press a little higher at times, but they'll be in that mid block and they like to win the ball and just go. And they have the players to do that in Morris and Roldan in the, in the quality midfield talent they have, although Joao Paulo will be out for the rest of the season with that ACL tear. And they have Nico Ladero pulling some strings higher up the field. And then they have Raul Ruiz Diaz that Taylor already talked about earlier. I think Brian Schmetzer, as far as maybe his fit with a national team and the U.S. national team to be specific, I think there are things that he would do very, very well in international management. He seems like someone that players really enjoy or at least tolerate, and that's huge and I think an underrated skill. He manages egos, and he does a lot of the interpersonal stuff, from what I can tell. He does a lot of that interpersonal stuff very, very well. For me, though, and I'm curious to to hear thoughts from the rest of you all, Schmetzer has a little bit too much Bruce Arena in him. Not in a personality standpoint. I think personality-wise, they're very different. But in terms of how he sets his teams up. He doesn't have, he doesn't have the required tactical ability or maybe even desire that I think the U.S. would need to take their parts and make them more than the sum of their parts. Which I think is necessary right now because the U.S. has talent, yes, but they're not England, they're not Italy, they're not Spain, they're not Germany or Portugal or France or Argentina or Brazil. They don't have or that Scotland. much talent. Yeah, or, or Scotland, Graham, darn right. All right. They, they need to be more than the sum of their parts. And with Seattle, Schmetzer lets, and this is, this is why I think he's Bruce Arena in a, a little bit. With Seattle, Schmetzer lets the sum of his parts equal the exact sum of his parts because he has great parts with, with the national team. I'm not sure that that exact formula will work. I think they need to be made into something more. And you can argue about whether or not that's happening right now. That's a discussion for a different day. But I'm not sure Brian Schmetzer is the guy to build this U.S. group and this young player pool into something more than what it is. Taylor, any thoughts on that? I agree with Joe. I I think that, and I really like Brian Schmetzer. I I have for for quite some time. But I think I think ultimately, and this isn't this genuinely isn't meant as a shot at him, which is always a great way to begin this. But <laughs> I think with Seattle, you can't overlook what Garth Lagerwey has done as well, and how strong that roster has been since they joined Major League Soccer. They've, I, as far as I can remember, gotten their DPs right pretty much every single time, if not every single time. And I think the recruitment has always been so strong. They obviously have a strong academy as well, and they bring through players. And so I think you're kind of putting Brian Schmetzer in a position where he has a very strong organization behind him that gives him really good talent. And then he shapes that talent and gets the best out of it and makes things happen. And there, that's no small feat because plenty of coaches have had that similar setup and not been able to find the success. But with the U.S. men's national team, you're going to have that talent for sure. But I don't know if you're going to have the kind of superior talent that maybe he is more accustomed to. And I think you're going to have way bigger egos coming from very disparate backgrounds. And I, I think it, it's more of a challenge in certain ways to be a national team manager. Uh, and I think he is very good at what he does for Seattle. So I would rather him stay there and continue to have success. And he's he's never coached outside of Washington either. I, I'm envisaging the episode of Always Sunny where Charlie thinks <laughs> every way, every city is a different state and he's yep. actually never been outside Pennsylvania. I can just imagine Brian Smetzer, ha- Smetzer having to learn he has to leave Washington and going, Tacoma's in Washington? I didn't realize that. <laughs> trees? Trees everywhere? This is ridiculous. I don't like this. <laughs> Indeed. Thank you very much, Mika, for the question. Plenty more coming after this short break. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We're taking your listener questions, including, but not limited to, this one from Calvin Valance, who says, can you please explain what technical means when describing a player? Why is this used so much in soccer? Now, Taylor, from my perspective here, the term technical is a bit of a broad church. It's used yeah. in kind of different ways by different folks. But generally, very generally, Taylor, is it is it meant to convey that a player is skillful both on and off the ball? Yeah, I, I think so. I think of it, first of all, I think you're absolutely right, that it's a broad term that maybe gets used in an overly broad way. I do think it's also subjective. So I'm actually really excited to have this conversation because I think there are probably times when I say it and it means something different than when Joe would say it. And so kind of getting on the same page is always a good thing. Ultimately, I think it's basically a player just doesn't lose the ball that often. They're very good at keeping the ball, which means they have a very good touch. They have very good control, but they have very good spatial awareness and know how to position themselves and receive the ball to to facilitate possession, keep the ball moving, not get caught. And that does mean that they can go on a dribble. That does mean that they can take people on. But I think it's less improvisational. It's more practiced and studied to get that technical ability joe would you concur with that and also i'll add on another question for you joe what is the atonym or the opposite of a technical player is it like an oaf of some sort (laughs) it's just (laughs) it's just bad first touch hyphenated so it's one word that's the opposite of technical i mean really for me and i think this is the the background of the word technical it's just a different form of the word technique right so a technical player is someone with good technique so in general that's used to describe someone who's skillful and it it is subjective it's not always used to describe the same parts of someone's game but I think we could all agree it's it's a soft first touch it's ball control it's it's being good in tight spaces it's being a good passer if you want to take this out of the field and move it into the goalkeeper position it's someone with good footwork with with good goalkeeping technique they get their hands in the right spot they take the right number of steps they plant in the right way they push off in the right way they extend in the right way they use the proper hand all of those kinds of things that's what technique is, and that's that's why we use the word technical as sort of a catch-all to describe some of those terms. And you can always get more specific, but for me, that's that's what technique and, and technical, that's they're linked, and that's what being a technical player is. And, and we use it so much in soccer because in order to be a good soccer player, you almost always need to have good technique. Yeah, and I think if we're being slightly reductive, Ryan, you said there, what's the, the opposite of a technical player? I wouldn't say this is necessarily the opposite, but if you were to put players in two different camps, and obviously this is very reductive and I'm making generalizations here, I think you would have technical players and maybe physical players. And obviously there are plenty of players who overlap those two categories. I'd say Kim De Bruyne is a very good technical player, but also a very good physical player. But when assessing a player in terms of their individual profile, that tends to be your starting point. Are their qualities 
uh, technique, technique based, technical based in terms of how they control and use the ball, or are they physically based in terms of how they move their body and their physical attributes? They may have like speed or strength or something like that. And as I say, there's a lot of overlap. Ideally, you do want overlap. Ideally, you want a technical player who has also got a lot of physical attributes. But that's kind of the two base camps, I would say, in forming an opinion of a player and what a kind of, uh, the profile of a player is. Okay, so. I'm thinking of someone like Tiago Alcantara, Graham. Where does he sit on that Venn diagram? Because as as um, Graham Lasso reminds us, in every single game that he plays, he, he hits the ball differently to everybody else. <laughs> um, and also can be a pretty physical presence as well. So where would you put him? I would put him in the, in the technical side of things. But I think this season, and I wrote a piece on this, I think he's added a lot more physicality to his game in terms of how he is pressing, seems to be uh, pressing a lot higher and pressing with, with greater intensity. But... We are talking generalizations here. If I have to put him in one over the other, yeah, he, I would say he's a technical player over a physical player. Okay. Joe, any any other um, luminaries of technical skill that you would like to highlight? I think, I mean, maybe a, an obvious example would be someone like Jorginho, someone who plays that deep-lying midfield role. They have that soft first touch. They can receive in tight spaces. Press resistance is, I think, another thing that falls into this category. You see that with someone like Jorginho. You see that with someone like Kovacic. You see that with, I mean, basically every player that France has, right? So Paul Pogba is a, is a beautiful example of that, where they're just so skillful on the ball. Those kinds of central midfielders, even though those three I just mentioned are all different, I, I think you see the technique in each and every one of those guys. The best example, though, is just Leo Messi, who does everything better than everyone else, except for maybe, like, jump and head the ball. But here's my question, Joe. Would you consider Paul Pogba a technical player? Yeah. Because he has technical ability for sure. I don't, but I don't think of him as technical, and I'm not entirely sure why. Yeah, I, I definitely think he's a technical okay. player. I think you'd be hard pressed to find five players in the world that are better on the ball than Paul Pogba is. I mean, he is so smooth with it, and I, I think he's just beautiful to watch. And for me, that generally means you're a technical guy and a technical player, and I think that's exactly what Paul Pogba is. Do you, how much like? Does positional awareness and positional ability factor into it, or is that secondary or not even on the kind of rankings for you? That's not generally how I think of technique gotcha. in a technical player, but it is like it, it probably should be. If we're boiling uh, te- being a technical player back to the word technique, having good understand, having a, a good understanding of space and where to be and when to to move to that space is an important part of of soccer, and so it should be uh, another category in the technique scale. But I guess just in the way that I think of it right off the bat, it, it doesn't jump to mind in that same way. That's right. I think that's probably what keeps it that and probably my my hatred of Manchester United currently <laughs> probably makes it hard for me to say that any of them are particularly, te- particularly technical. Uh, I think one, one matter springs to mind as a, te- a technical Manchester United player. Someone who springs to mind as not yeah. a technical Manchester United player, sorry if he's listening, but hey, it's just the way it is, uh, Aaron Wan-Bissaka. I don't think he has... Mm-hmm kind of the technical fundamentals nailed down to be described as a technical player. I would class him more as a physical player. His physical attributes are what make him a decent player. We'll have to send an apology. I'll text him later because he is a listener. I know that, Graham. He lives in your neighborhood. (laughs) He lives in my neighborhood, yeah. The neighborhood of Europe. Um, Thank you very much, Calvin, for the question there. Mark Elmer has come in and asked us a question. He asks, what is the best centre-back pairing of all time? Great, great question. Uh, Big T... Uh, I immediately go to the Italian pairing of Chiellini and Bonucci, despite my sheer hatred of one of those players. That is not where (laughs) I thought you were going to go. Where did you think? Do you think I was going to go for like an England pairing? 
No, no, I just didn't think you were going to ever mention Giorgio Chiellini mm-hmm. as uh, the greatest of anything or one half of the greatest of anything. I, I've got him in my list, but just to just to spite you, really, I didn't oh. expect you to put him up straight off the bat. Fair enough. Despite his um, shortcomings, Graham, I still think that pairing, just for to be that consistent for club and country for such a long time, that's yeah. that's impressive, right? Yeah, and if you need some good poop housery or a horse collar, then these are the centre-backs for you. I was just going to say, if you need precision tacti- tac- tackling, uh, woo, difficult for me to say, but I can't even say that because it's so incorrect <laughs> that I know I'm going to piss off Ryan. Uh, yeah, I had Chiellini Bonucci number one on my list. I had Rio Ferdinand and Nemanja Vidic, which might be my bias, but that I remember that just being formidable and sort of a thing that defenses had to try to figure out and oftentimes did not. And then I wanted to do a Sergio Ramos uh, partnership, and I, I don't think it's Pepe. So I think it's Ramos and Varane would be on yeah. that list for me. Similarly, Pique and Puyol as well, a, a historically very good pairing. Yeah, Pique and Puyol are the ones who are fighting for top spot with Chiellini and Benucci for me, Joe. How do you feel about that? Totally agree. Those are the top two for me. Those, those Real Madrid teams with Ramos and Pepe and then Ramos and Varane were on the periphery of my of my list and my thoughts here, but Chiellini and Benucci for how long they've played together is mm-hmm. insane. And it's, it's hard to define best, right? When Mark's asking us this question, it's difficult to do that. And I think if you asked 10 different people, maybe from 10 different countries, they would have five or six different answers between that group. But when you played together for as long as Chiellini and Benucci have in Syria and with Italy, great on the ball, very good in the air, not quite as athletic these days, but still just excellent players. They they have to be at or near the top. And then Puyol and Piquet for winning all the trophies they did. And that has to be a part of this too. Of course, Chiellini and Bonucci won trophies. But Puyol and Piquet were the foundation of some of the best soccer teams of all time. And I'm not totally sure you can say that about Chiellini and Bonucci. Puyol and Piquet won four La Liga titles. They won multiple Champions Leagues. They won multiple cups in Spain. They won a treble in Piquet's first year at Barcelona. They won the World Cup in 2010. They won the Euros in 2012. They are, I mean, the the backbone of some of the best teams ever at both the club level and the international level. I think for me, they might get the nod here. I think... It, for me, it's also uh, Bonucci and Chiellini. And another little thing that stands out is the season that Bonucci goes to Milan. <laughs> yeah. uh, and basically, it does not go well. He immediately goes back. <laughs> they're reunited and they're very good again. So I like the idea that they're such a good partnership that when you split them up, they're not quite as good defensively. But when you put them back together, they're just as good as they were before. So that feels like a strong partnership, maybe the strongest partnership we've seen. I've I've got to be honest, I had, so Piquet and Puyol are my, my top one and I, I can't really see past them, but for my number two, I had an Italian partnership, but it wasn't Chiellini and, ooh, ooh. and Benucci. Maldini, can I guess? It, Maldini and Nesta, and Nesta yeah. Yeah, was the partnership I went for. So obviously Maldini starts out as a fullback, a very good one, but becomes a centre-back over time and his partnership with Nesta is for me, kind of the the stuff of legend. Admittedly, it happens during my formative years as a football fan, so maybe I've got a bit of personal bias there because they were just the embodiment of Italian defending at that time, and they seemed to last forever. I was reading they were they played together for twenty five seasons, won twenty five trophies, which is ridiculous. So, <laughs> for me, if we're going Italian, it's Maldini and, and Nesta, as good as Chiellini and, and Bonucci have have been for so long. That's a good shot, Graham. What what was Maldini's initial position? <laughs> Full back, not this again. It's my favorite. It's my favorite word. You say it really is. Is it what just for the pronunciation reasons, Taylor? Yes, yes. I it, it, I cannot do it because I end up saying like fullback, and that's not it. It's so it's so good. It's my favorite Scottish word. Graham, can you yeah. dramatically say there's been a murder? 
There's been a murder. There oh. we go. That's the best thing to say in a Scottish <laughs> accent. Um, one more. Actually, Graham, I'll throw another one at you. A Premier League classic. How about Sol Campbell and Colo Torre, uh, a.k.a. the centre-backs of Arsenal's Invincible season? Yeah, good good partnership. I mean, there's no bad partnerships in, in the suggestions being made here, but Arsenal's centre-back partnerships for me would be... I'm trying to think who... So Tony Adams is who I'm thinking of, but who Martin Keown or Lee Dixon? Lee Dixon was a fullback, right? I, I think. can't quite remember, actually. But Arsenal had some pretty good defences in the late 90s mm. when Tony Adams was around in that period. Saul Campbell being signed and, and Colo Toure around that period as well. Good good, good defences. But for me, Premier League, Premier League defences, you can't really beat uh, Ferdinand and Vidic just because yeah. I, I, love the, I love the balance that they had because Ferdinand was the one who passed out from the back. He was slightly better in the ball. He had the recovery pace. And then you had Vidic, who was the brawn, and just thundered crosses away with his, his head. And in that sense, for me, it was the perfect partnership. They had all bases covered between the two of them. Does it, is that nice, Taylor, to think back to when your team had defensive competence? What do you mean? It's, we're so strong right now with Harry <laughs> Maguire and Victor Lindelof, who are vaguely aware of what defending is. <sighs> Wonderful memories for you, I'm sure, Tay-Tay. Mark, yeah. thank you very much for that question. we got a few more coming right after these messages. Back in a sec. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our listener questions. And this one has been submitted by Poundland Graham Ruthven. Poundland Graham Ruthven, <laughs> thank you very much for the question there. Which two teams, asks Poundland, that are unlikely to play each other would make the most fun matchup in a competitive one-off exhibition? I think competitive exhibition is a bit of a contradiction in terms, but we're talking about a one-off game, which sounds like a lot of fun to me. Uh, Joe, I immediately went to trying to think of like the two best teams who would never really play. How about Liverpool versus Brazil right now? And Ooh. if there's if there's overlap players, maybe like your Fabinho's and your Firmino's, then they can double up like Street Fighter Two. They were just wearing different outfits. They're cloned. <laughs> I didn't even think about mixing club soccer mm -hmm. and international soccer. That is so good, Ryan. Okay, I got to think more about that as you all go. But my my actual couple of answers here, the second one's cheating, but who cares? The first one is Ajax versus Villarreal, which is the hipster's pick. It's my pick. It's two of my favorite teams, and this is, this is my answer, so I can do what I want. It's two of my favorite teams from this year's Champions League. Eric Ten Hag has to stay at least through this game. He can't dip off to Manchester yet. And at this point, he might not be too sad about that. So Eric Ten Hag and Unai Emery <laughs> drawing the teams up. I mean, I, I think both of these teams played beautiful soccer. And it, it would sort of allow us the Champions League final that I don't think we were ever going to get based off of how the bracket was constructed. But still, it would be an extremely fun game between two very, very good teams. So that's my, that's my first answer. 
My second answer is the one where I cheated. It's Phoenix Rising versus AFC Wimbledon. It's Ooh. the Richmond Kickers versus Sterling Albion. And then we're yes, going to we're going to do the tournament. And Graham, we're going to get to see who's going to come out on top. <laughs> I'm on board. That's good. And you, you mentioned this, Joe, on the very day yep. when we record when there yep. is a TSS Derby, Taylor. There certainly is. I'm going tonight. Richmond Kickers hosting Charlotte FC. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm very excited for that one. Who knows what will happen because I don't know if Charlotte's going to play a full team or if it will be reserves. I'm guessing the Kickers will play a full team. I hope it's a rowdy atmosphere, and I hope I get to talk a lot of smack to Ryan uh, when next week. <laughs> I, I really wish I could be there. It sounds like it's going to be a really fun atmosphere in game, Tay-Tay. Do you see your team lose? You wanna, do you want to attend that in person, do you? I mean, I've done a lot of that with uh, FC Wimbledon this season, so <laughs> <laughs> what's one more? Have you seen Charlotte win in person? No, I've seen oh. uh, two losses. I saw the first two games. Oh, sorry, buddy. Well, well, maybe maybe I will be there tonight to see them win, and then uh, that can count for you a little bit. Thanks. As for the question from Poundland, Graham <laughs> yes. Ruffin, how do you feel about it, Taylor? I went in a very similar direction to you, except that when I first put Liverpool, I realized I think Liverpool would destroy Brazil, but just be, and not out of a talent standpoint, but just because as we've talked about. Club teams with all the training they have in preparation, I think, are tend to be just superior to inter- international teams. And I don't know if Brazil would be able to handle the ridiculous pressing because I don't think any national team can do it the way Liverpool can. So I had it as Brazil-Real Madrid, which maybe also tips my hand about the way I think the Champions League is going to go. But I think Madrid aren't going to bunker. They're going to play expansive football, which means they're going to be open at the back. And we, I feel like we could get another like five to four game in this one. And I would be very, very excited for that. So I had Brazil, Real Madrid. You've all gone in a very different direction to me. I don't know what it says about me that I have picked terrible, terrible games oh because I want to see how they'd go. So I've gone Norwich <laughs> against Inter Miami. Why? Just because uh, sometimes really, really bad soccer matches mm. are actually the really good ones. There's a sadistic pleasure in them. And I think it would be really, really bad. And also Josh Sargent might actually score a goal. And then I've gone, uh, Joe, you've, you've, you've called it with Sterling Albion against the Richmond Kickers, uh, which I think Sterling Albion and the Richmond Kickers actually have very similar kits. So it feels like there could be an alliance there. Weirdly, a lot of Albion fans support Sunderland as their second team because we're both SAFC and also have the same colours. Haven't you so suffered as enough, if, as if, Yeah, exactly. As <laughs> if Albion fans don't experience enough pain. So so maybe Richmond could be our American affiliate and that could that be the is... start of a beautiful partnership. So it's basically your fans are lazy. That it's like, ah, same colours, same initials, whatever, it's fine. I don't have to buy multiple jerseys. That's that's great. Exactly. That's great, wow. <laughs> Just signing up for a lifetime of pain because the initials are the same. Precisely. Grimson. I mean, that's how, how else do you pick football teams? <laughs> I mean, I, I have a friend who, who picked Man City uh, many years ago before they had uh, the oil money because he's a UNC fan and they had UNC colors. And that was all it took for him to be like, yep, I like that team. So I think there are, wow. especially in the States, I think that there are people who choose clubs for yeah. similar reasons to that. Worked out better for your friend than the Albion fans picking it Sunderland. It it's going to say, Taylor, that's like the guy who bought Bitcoin like five years ago. It's a right? solid investment. Yeah. <laughs> like, like it might have been, was it uh, Shinawatra? Was that his name? Like, it might have yeah. even been yeah. before him. Uh, that's how long ago it was. But either way, yeah, he is one of the few people who support City that I can, I can be okay with. Wow. Uh, Graham, I, I've got to say, I'm surprised you picked Norwich. I thought they were your mortal enemies um, due to their treatment of a certain player. Yeah, but I think they'd be so bad that I'd be laughing at them rather than laughing with them. So I'm cool with that. Does it say anything about your psyche that you've immediately picked bad soccer rather than good soccer? Yeah, I think 
Yeah, I think it does. Yeah. <laughs> I think it does, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it reveals a lot, actually. <laughs> and how apt that that came from Poundland Graham rather than that question. Graham, yeah. that's all I've got to say. Thank you very much, uh, Poundland, wherever you may be, for that question. Taylor Judd has got in touch too, and he exclaims, It's summer! You have a two-week vacation. Where are you going purely for soccer reasons? Now, Graham... Um, I've got to bear in mind here that it is summer. So if we're going to say this summer, no European leagues running, well, not in outside of Scandinavia or whatever. Oh, are we being that practical with it? I, I am. <laughs> so we're not even getting yeah. to watch any games. I am here because I'm going to say no European leagues, no World Cup. So the only natural place to go this summer for a two-week vacation is England for Euro 2022. Ugh. For the, Between uh, 6th and the 31st of July. Although, I mean, it, if it's purely soccer reasons, which is a tailored stipulation in this question, then... That's fine, but it's pretty cruel to make someone go to like, England for their summer. Yeah, if I have a two-week vacation, having spent the last two years <laughs> locked in Plague <laughs> Island, I'm not going to England, let me tell you that. Fair enough. Uh, I mean, August is still summer, right? There's games in August. That's That still counts. Oh. I'm, I'm still saying there's games happening in summertime go on, then, what in you European got? leagues. So I, w- I would love to do a soccer tour of Spain, and actually I, I, I plan on doing this at some point. I've told my wife, who's not necessarily a soccer fan, but uh, we like Spain. We love, I love Spanish food, love Spanish culture, and I think they have arguably the richest football landscape in Europe, at least at the top level. They maybe don't have the depth of a country like England or Germany. So I've done, I've done the Bernabeu, I've done Camp Nou, I've done Mestalla, but I'd like to do Bilbao in the San Mames. I'd like to do Sevilla with the Benito Villamarín, Sanchez Pizjuán. I also haven't done the Metropolitano yet in Madrid. It was just about to open the last time I was in Madrid. So yeah, I think I think Spain would be would be grand to do a, a soccer tour of. And I'd also like to do uh, the States as a two-week soccer holiday, mm. which I guess would work out in the summer with, with MLS. I'd start out in the Pacific Northwest, hey. work my way east. So Seattle, Portland, then LAFC, then Austin. Then I would go into the... Into the, the the Midwest, is that the right term? The middle of the country? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Sporting KC, then Nashville, then uh, Atlanta, Orlando, and then finish with Cincy and, and, and Columbus as you well. Missed one. So you missed one. I would one like to do five. that. Graham, Graham that, that map that you have just drawn is a fascinating insight into European understanding of American geography. What way would you have done it? <laughs> well, did you, I believe you went Pacific Northwest, Texas, then the Midwest, then Atlanta, then Florida, then Ohio. Uh, yes, if you say so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so just a little, a little jumpy, a little all over the place. I look forward. I hope it's a drive, and I hope you're driving from Kansas City to Atlanta. Uh, I, I, I look forward to hearing about it's like, that one. It's like one of those maps they used to get in, like, the 80s films, National <laughs> yeah. Lampoons, where they kind of jump around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Up and down like a zigzag. <laughs> um, and yes... Ultimately, the most important thing is that you did not include Charlotte on that list. I also had the Pacific Northwest for the same reasons uh, as Ryan, which is that if if I'm going for purely soccer reasons, I would like to see soccer. Uh, And I guess you could go in August, as you said. I'm going to tag along on Graham's Spain vacation. Uh, I'll be the nanny, and then that will allow you to enjoy the trip more, Graham. Uh, But you'll get sick, Taylor. You'll get sick. Yeah, oh, there's that problem. Uh, I would do the Pacific Northwest as well. I'd start in Vancouver, then Seattle, then Portland. But you've got MLS games, and then you've got uh, OL Rain. You've got the Thorns. So you've got a, a, a couple different uh, types of game, and you've got like different fan bases to enjoy. Plus, you get to hang out in Canada a little bit. So I think that would be the one for me. But yes, I would love to do an Iberian Peninsula tour. I'd love to start in Portugal and then go over to Spain, and maybe even uh, dip down to Morocco as well. I think that could be a solid one to get all different types of soccer as well. 
that's awesome. I was actually looking into potential routes through the US as well. Uh, I got as far as that Chelsea and Arsenal are playing in Orlando this summer, and you could kind of build some MLS games around that as well. And you know, Orlando's a decent place to be as well. So that's a that's a good vacation stop for sure. Is, is it? Is it though? Certainly is for it, someone who likes it? chilies and olive olive garden. Yeah, right. <laughs> for someone who likes American culture like I do, I think that's wonderful. Yeah. Ryan. See, the thing is, Ryan, oh, I'm, I'm ribbing you there, but I also like Orlando so much. I'm going there a week today. Yay! <laughs> Indeed, you are. Um, I love that. I love like in in Stephen King's The Stand. It's like one, like half of the survivors are drawn to Vegas, and I think the other half are drawn to Salt Lake City. And you can guess which one attracts which type of person. Uh, I like that in Ryan's post-apocalyptic world, his followers would be drawn to Orlando. I'm assuming, and it would be Ryan just holding court at a Chili's is what I'm imagining would be the case. <laughs> yeah, I mean you can't do Hard Rock Cafe every day, so Chili's would have to be the, the regular stop. You're quite right. Oh, I want to be in Florida, but I want to be landlocked. That's very important to me that I not be able to get into water when it's 104 degrees with 108% humidity. Wonderful stuff. Um, I'll add, by the way, Graham, on your Spanish trip, I'm actually fortunate enough, I'm going to be doing a weekend in Barcelona in July, and I have persuaded my family, none of whom are interested in the beautiful game, to go on a Camp Nou stadium tour. Have you done that before? I have done the Camp Nou Stadium Tour, but I was 17 at the time and did not have a family. Uh, so fair play, fair play. That if you've, if, It's actually fairly enjoy- enjoyable. Like they, they will have a decent time. It's quite a spectacle, I think. Is, is it though? Is it like... Isn't it sort of like touring a brewery at the end? It's like, oh, that's where you make the... Is that where that goes in? Oh, that's where the beer comes out. It's like, oh, these are locker rooms. Oh, that's a treatment room. Oh, that's the field? Like, it feels like it kind of runs together at a certain point. Well, Taylor, I'll, I'll tell you the thought process. There is a large cathedral in Barcelona, which is a very popular tourist destination. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was roughly the same price as the Camp Nou. And I managed to <laughs> lobby to get the Camp Nou in there in its, in its stead. And I'm not a heathen or anything. I just really like soccer. I mean, I think... That is the soccer cathedral, no? Yeah, it is indeed. It is indeed. Um, yeah. You are also a heathen, though. Yeah, that, that's, yeah that's, that's true. true. I, I, sh- I shouldn't have said that. Um, Joe, <laughs> how about you, sir? <laughs> okay, I'm going to try to bring us back from that. Um, <laughs> so I also stuck with the literal uh, definition of the question, so it has to be in the summer. I'm going to Mexico, baby. I'm going to Mexico mm. City, and then I'm going to Monterey. They're not – I mean, I couldn't walk from one to the other, but I'm going to pretend that I can get from one city to the next okay I, I want to go to Mexico City and see a, just a bunch of Liga MX games. I would love to watch Club America and go to Estadio Azteca and Cruz Azul and Pumas. I mean, there, there's plenty of games and teams in Mexico City. And then I'd love to see Monterrey and, and Tigres in Monterrey. I think that would be an incredible experience. I, I would really enjoy doing that trip and, and hopefully stopping at a few other cities along the way. And then if if I can fudge this a bit and we'll pretend that this is more in the fall or that August is summer, as, as Graham was trying to get us to believe, which it is certainly in Arizona, um, I am I'm going to northwest Germany. I want to go watch Dortmund. I want to go watch Schalke. I want to see Leverkusen, Gladbach, and Köln, but mostly Dortmund and Schalke. I think those would be incredible atmospheres to be in and to be a part of in really good soccer in a really interesting place. Indeed. Lots of sausage too, Joe. Benefit. Yeah. Sausage is good. I think I'll add one more into the pot. I think I would like to go to Rio for two weeks. Um, Not just because Rio is absolutely awesome, but also you've got a ton of really high-level soccer teams there. Flamengo, Fluminense, uh, Botafogo, Vasco are in uh, in Rio, I believe, as well. And, you know, at least a couple of those teams play at the American are quite regularly as well. So that's a fun place to be. So I'll add that into the mix. Any more for any more before we move on? Anybody? Anybody? All right. I'll move on, Joe. To a bonus question for you, 
and we were talking about sausages and spicy sausages and your uh, desire to go to the German heartland to watch some soccer. That relates to Mark Helmer's bonus question here. I need to know more about Joe's food peculiarities. Does he not like spicy food? Is his problem with hot sauce the vinegariness? Does he like <laughs> vinegar-based Carolina barbecue sauce? Uh, be careful answering this question, Joe, because I would replace my blood with Carolina barbecue sauce if I could. I wonder, that would be interesting to watch and to see how you would function. Um, <laughs> so I don't feel like I have a whole lot of food peculiarities, to be completely honest. The, the ones I've stated are that I don't enjoy buffalo sauce. I think it's terrible. And, and hot sauce, I honestly don't remember saying this, but I'm sure I did because I, I, I do feel this way. I don't really like hot sauce either. And l- let me explain briefly. I think buffalo sauce tastes bad. It has flavor, but I don't like the flavor. <laughs> I think hot sauce tastes bad, and I don't think it has much flavor beyond just being spicy. Now, I like spicy foods. I think I like spicy foods a lot. I'll, I'll happily eat spicy things that are that are really painful, and, and maybe I'll cry a little bit. Like, I can handle that. But hot sauce is just spicy for the sake of being spicy for me. Now, maybe I haven't had the right hot sauces, blah, blah, blah. You can you can complain to Taylor on Twitter about this. Taylor, uh, TBRock00, I think, is the username. So go ahead and tweet all your complaints Wait, why, there. Am I getting, why am I getting your literal? Taylor, this is, this is my <laughs> moment. Okay, this is my moment. Um, <laughs> I, that, that's just how I feel. Buffalo sauce, bad hot sauce, bad. Different reasons. Carolina barbecue sauce, not my favorite barbecue sauce. I'm not the biggest fan of the oh, vinegariness. But I will eat barbecue sauce, any kind of barbecue sauce, any day of the week, any time of the day. That's it. That's all I got. Okay. I think, I think you make a compelling argument on hot sauce, Joe. Yeah, thank the you, culinary thank vodka, you. isn't it? Yeah. You know, it, it's just vodka. People just drink vodka to get drunk. Hot sauce. People just have hot sauce. Have salsa. Why we're talking about pure hot sauce, just so it's spicy. Yeah. There's so many better ways to enjoy spicy food, and so many better ways to to have it as a sauce. There's so many beautiful sauces out there in the world that work with so many different kinds of foods. Just do that instead. Solved it. It's one of the things I always find amazing about the states is the number of sauces. I yeah. went to a place once, and it was a fast food place owned by Guy Fieri, one of your favorites. <laughs> oh, yeah. What are and you two doing? I love what Guy are Fieri. you two doing? <laughs> God. Which, Graham, which one was it? Which one was it? Uh, oh. It's called Chicken Guy. Yeah. And I, I swear they had about 50 different sauces. So I went on their site to see what sauces that they had. So this is just a selection. Buffalo, blue cheese, buttermil- uh, buttermilk ranch, honey mustard, sweet and sour, wasabi honey, curry mayo, garlic parmesan, peri peri, sweet sriracha barbecue. That's just a few. I think they had about 50 different sauces. Sounds normal. That's like going to the restaurant that has the menu that's like 32 pages long. Like you don't want the restaurant that offers spaghetti and heroes and like great like Middle Eastern food, but also vegan cuisine and also Jamaican fare. Like it's suddenly it's too much. It's too much. And you have way too many sauces there, most of which are probably made with high fructose corn syrup. Uh, I agree with Joe. I think hot sauce really can just be a thing that like is used to show how tough you are but also to like destroy flavor or if something is very bland that's the only thing where i would say it does work it's like if you got bland mac and cheese hot sauce on that is good if you've got bland eggs hot sauce makes a difference but overall yeah i don't really get the the destroyers and the ones that make it so that you can't taste anything for a week straight i I, i'm not so big on that one i'm also not big on tuna salad and chicken salad Uh, i have never eaten them i think i've eaten them once and that was enough for me that would be my my one food obstacle no no salad that isn't salad for me one of my friends did the hot wing challenge at buffalo wild wings uh when we were in orlando funnily enough 
and he he toughed it out for the whole evening and pretended it wasn't hurting him physically. <laughs> and then the next morning, we're going, how are you doing, Mark? You okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Not a problem. And then halfway on the walk to wherever we're going that day, he's <laughs> running back yep. to one of the restaurants we've just been to. <laughs> uh, Graham, Mark. that reminds me, I used to work at a uh, for a barbecue place. Uh, and I always enjoyed when they would be, when we do like catered events and there'd be, uh, like it would be an outdoor thing, like there was music or whatever, it was a whole pig roast, and then people would eat it and dump hot sauce all over it, oh. and then go use the restroom, and guess Uh-oh. how that worked out for them. Yeah, yeah, you want to wash those hands, folks, you want to wash those hands. Hot sauce in certain areas is not where hot sauce is meant to be. Oh, this question took a turn, I apologize, Mark, <laughs> but uh, thank you very much for submitting all the same. Couple more bonus questions I'd like to get through before we hang this one up, gents, including this one from Kyle K., who asks, um, referring to a previous podcast, can you explain the general Franco joke in regards to Atletico Madrid and Athletic Bilbao? I was having issues defining details on it, says Kyle. Um, So I I essentially made a joke uh, along the lines of when they played each other last week, that um, one of the teams was told how to spell their names by Frank. Well, they were both told how to spell their names by General Franco, and Mm. only one of them listened, essentially. Um, So to dig into the history here a little bit, Athletic Club was started by dock workers, and there's a few clubs where it's English clubs where they're supposed to have come from these dock workers, but namely Southampton and Sunderland, dock towns, um, you know, who, who did trade in, in northern Spain in the Basque Country, and that's a reason why we've got Athletic Club to Bilbao with a British, sorry, English um, spelling, um, and also the colours, uh, the blue and white, uh, the red and white stripes, which is you know same as Southampton and Sunderland. Now, uh, General Franco in 1941 banned non-Spanish names for many things including soccer teams. So he made them uh, change their name to Atletico Bilbao at that point. Now, um, I, I'm, I think I mentioned before, I did a TV show for the Travel Channel in Bilbao one time. We went to San Mames and you know, spoke to all the people. We were there for a week and it was incredible. And speaking about this, um, they were forced to do it technically, but they didn't really embrace it. They still kept using the traditional spelling because um, there's a lot of hostility from Basque and from Catalans in particular against the Franco regime. There's a whole lot of history there. But basically, um, they did not listen to this. Um, And by the way, during this time, the Copa del Rey actually changed its name to the Copa del Generalissimo, Generalissimo, um, for for non-royal and pro Franco really rolls off the tongue. Yeah, it really didn't roll off my tongue, I can say. I apologize for that. But they did change the name of that tournament as well. Um, so we had the Franco dictatorship, which went from 39 to 1975, which is wild when you think how long uh, that dictatorship went on and yeah. to relatively recent times. Um, but before Franco, um, that, that um, regime ended in 1972, in July 1972, Athletic Club changed their name back. And Atletico Madrid actually got its name during the Franco regime, which is quite interesting. Um, and Atletico, Atletico Madrid actually started life as an offshoot of Athletic Bilbao. Mm-hmm. Um, some Basques uh, who came to the, the capital and started a club. And that's why they wear the same colours as well. Um, so basically, um, Franco banned both teams from keeping uh, from having um, uh, um, English spellings because when, when um, Atletico Madrid was started, they were Athletic Club English spelling de Madrid. With, uh, so they changed the name, but they kept the Spanish spelling, whereas um, Bilbao very much reverted back. Graham, do I feel like I've covered everything there? Yeah, I think I think you covered everything there. Have we ever spoken about why Atletico Madrid are called Los Colchoneros, which is one of the best nicknames in 
in football. Have you ever mentioned that? Oh, it means the mattress makers. Mm, yeah, the, the, we, we talked about that recently. Colors, right? Yeah, with, with jersey colors and stripes. I don't remember what the question yeah. was, but we did talk about it. Yeah, so just a quick recap. comes from the origin story of their kits where red and white was picked because it was the cheapest and it was the cheapest because it was also used to make mattresses and everyone needs a mattress, I guess. So the price was driven down because of the demand, hence the name, uh, Los Colchoneros. I really why, like that nickname. Why people wanted red and white striped mattresses has never fully made sense to me with that story. <laughs> that seems to be the thing that ends up being the most confusing. And Ryan, just to clarify, so it was basically... Uh, they both started out as Athletic Club. Yeah. Then General Franco made them change it to Athletic Club. Club. And then when he died, uh, Athletic Club, they about changed back. But like kind of resisted it the whole time. Yeah. I just wanted to be clear on that one because, yeah, I think the whole thing with the dictatorship is you couldn't really overtly disagree. Just ask Barcelona. They had to kind of go along until they no longer had to go along. So yeah. I think that's really interesting that they kept that identity, just kind of kept it under wraps for as long as they could. Yeah, so they were ostensibly Atletico Bilbao during that period, but like on yeah. the streets in, in the city, it was like, no, no, we're not. So yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that's an interesting one, but uh, <laughs> may, maybe I should explain my jokes with several minutes of explanation next time I try and make <laughs> um, one like that. That um, is the secret I, to comedy, Ryan. We all know exactly. that. I, see, I'm glad you didn't, because I'm glad we got this question, because then I read more and I didn't realize how much there is, like with uh, Atletico Madrid, that there is still... I, I always had this idea that it was like Real Madrid were Franco's team and they had this sort of like they were the favorite son and Atleti were just there sort of off to the side. And it does not seem like that was the case. It seems like they started out as Franco's favorite club uh, because they merged with, I think, like an Air Force team. That's and right. so he liked the idea of the military strength. So it's always interesting to hear about that history and sort of realize that things I've maybe created because it builds a better narrative in my head aren't necessarily the way things played out historically. Mm. Uh, Joe, by the way, do you know what the secret is to comedy? What's that? Timing. All right. Uh, Thank you very much. Uh, One uh, last question. This isn't a question. I just want to read this one out. This is spectacular. Danny W. sent this in. If you've ever seen the TV show The Good Place, this is a bit self-indulgent reading this out. I understand, but I'll go through it anyway. Um, A question from Danny. He starts off, are there any characters or actors you get compared to? And he goes in to say his wife uh, and he are re-watching The Good Place, uh, which is very much a a must-watch if you haven't seen it. And they got to talking about how those characters are like people they know. The next day, he says, Danny, I was listening to an episode of TSS and it was like getting struck by lightning. Please see my analysis and let me know what you think. Okay, so he's compared me to Tahani. Uh, in in the in the show, uh, both were raised British and seem to have a, if not posh, but a high class <laughs> air about them. <laughs> Okay, all right. I'm enjoying this already. Okay. <laughs> They're both often dropping how they're somehow associated with whatever famous person is being talked about at the time. See Chira Immobilia, uh, Immobilia uh, earlier in this um, episode. I'm sure she was the female equivalent of head boy at her school, right? <laughs> Ryan's kids going to the same school as a famous footballer has the same energy as her dropping that Paul McCartney is her godfather. I don't know about super successful sibling, though. My brother does okay, but I think that's... I'll take that one. I'll be Tahani. Taylor Rockwell, you're cheaty. You are cheaty from the good place both seem like very intelligent and well-meaning individuals both striving to be moral uh, but that fair trade coffee are helping uh, to teaching others moral philosophy but this comes with a cost both have a difficulty making a definite stance on some things uh, that could be which muffin to eat or which striker is best for the u.s <laughs> oh and of course i think cheaty would be a big fan of the threes things can be two things because he wouldn't have to pick just one he's got you there taylor um yeah i don't know how to feel about that one see what i did there see what i did there uh, i got it very good very cheaty very cheaty of you joe lowry 
you're Eleanor. You're the star of the show. Eleanor Shellstrop in this one. Uh, first off, both are the young hotness of the group. Yeah, Dang sure. Right. <laughs> uh, I consider Eleanor's taste in TV, exclusively reality TV, to be about as deep as Joe's Pixar-only cinema background. <laughs> and of course, they are both from AZ, baby. Joe, how do you like that? I like it a lot. I like the phrase young hotness, and that's pretty much all I needed for this uh, for this response. Yeah, yeah. You should own that one. You should definitely own that one. Uh, the final one for Graham. I'm jealous because Graham got the best character in The Good Place, Jason Mendoza. Uh, I'm pretty sure Jason survives exclusively on Hot Pockets, which are, of course, just the American version of meat pies. <laughs> Correct. Also, Graham loves to visit Jason's home state of Florida. As he mentions, he's going next week. Lastly, I'm pretty sure Glasgow slash Scotland is the British version of Jacksonville in the USA. <laughs> Oh my god not like i can throw stones uh, because i am from a trashier part of florida says danny i uh, hope you find this amusing and love the show keep up the great work it says here danny thank you very much for that so Graham, good i think you might be the only one of us who hasn't seen the good place but how do you feel about jacksonville being compared to glasgow I have never been to Jacksonville, so my exposure to Jacksonville is the NFL team mm. that's there. So I'm not entirely sure what Jacksonville is like as a place. Hey, but Graham, what are what are Jaguar like? The car, like, what are they famous for? Breaking down. Okay, so now make <laughs> well, that the, car the mascot have, so of the city, <laughs> and it kind of connects. Yeah. Okay, there we go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jacksonville is kind of you just cross the state line from Georgia, and it's where all the cruise ships go from, basically, Graham. Right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there's not many cruise ships going from Glasgow. I have to say, but That's true. but yeah, I, I I'll, I'll accept it. It seems like someone has peered into my soul uh, with the meat pies thing and the Florida <laughs> thing. So I'm pretty sure the Jacksonville Glasgow thing is spot on as well. And Graham, you do real not quick, portals, don't you, Graham? Yeah, Graham. Real quick, say the word Bortles. Just just say it. Oh no, J- Bortles. Good job. It's done. Okay. Bortles. Yeah. The transformation now- is complete. <laughs> but now say it like you are enthusiastically cheering him throwing a seven-yard pass because that's about the best that Blake Bortles got. So you got to give me like a Bortles. Go Bortles. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> and on that bombshell, we should probably end our listener questions. Uh, Joe Lowry, thank you very much for your contributions as always. Thank you very much, Ryan. Taylor Rockwell, if I can get your attention, thank you so much. That was my favorite thing that's ever happened. And Graham, go Bortles! <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> Thank you very much, listener. We'll be back on the feed shortly, as always. But for now, Bortles! <laughs>